Sir Edward Heath served as UK Prime Minister from 1970 until 1974. During his life, he was known for his strongly pro-European politics and his dramatic toppling as Conservative Party leader by Margaret Thatcher. But ten years after his death, Heath became embroiled in a growing witch hunt of establishment figures falsely accused of historic child abuse and murder. Unlike many of the others whose names were smeared, Heath had no relatives to defend his reputation. In this Mail Plus True Crime podcast, I'm joined by Heath's godson, Lincoln Seligman, and his former political secretary and biographer, Michael McManus, who've both campaigned to have his name cleared and police held to account over their conduct. The summer of 2015 was, in terms of the criminal justice system and the fairness of it, a pretty mad summer. Uh, And in terms of Wiltshire Police and their investigation into the former Prime Minister, Sir Edward Heath, it was particularly bizarre. And I want to play a recording of a statement made by Detective Superintendent Sean Memory outside Sir Edward Heath's former home in Salisbury. It was a bizarre statement. If you have been a victim or you're a witness to anything or any allegations uh, against um, Sir Ted Heath, then please come forward. This is about pulling forward witnesses and victims. Um, Have some trust in Wiltshire Police that will deal with it um, effectively with absolute privacy for those that come forward. But I would urge those people that have information or that have been victims of crime to come forward to us today. So the clear implication there was that the reference was to victims of Ted Heath, wasn't it? And a very prominent politician at the time, Tom Watson, who became deputy leader of the Labour Party, went on Channel 4 to give credence to the idea that Ted Heath was or had been a paedophile. There were two allegations, one from uh, one second-hand who says, from someone who said they'd spoken to a survivor, and the second from a survivor directly. And in those circumstances, you feed all that information to the police and let them get on with it. And you personally felt, when you heard those allegations, that they were credible? Well, I've given... Uh, I mean, you, it's hard to judge when you're a Member of Parliament and not a professional investigator. But, but you, you have human to, being to human being? Human being to human being. One of the cases seems very credible. Uh, and from the informal feedback I've picked up, I know the police are investigating and taking it seriously. Tom Watson there also talking about Operation Midland, the Scotland Yard's inquiry into VIP child abuse. And, and as we'll sort of discuss later in this podcast, there was an overlap between the investigation by Scotland Yard, Operation Midland, into the allegations made by the fantasist turned serial liar Carl Beach, aka Nick, and Wiltshire Police, uh, and their investigation. Operation Conifer. I just wanted to ask you, Lincoln, because you were Sir Edward Heath's godson, what were your memories of that appeal by Sean Memory? Well, it was quite extraordinary, and it was almost the first thing I heard about the affair at all. Also, the use of the word victims implies that it's already happened. They don't have to prove anything. They call themselves victims, and therefore they are. 
Mm. Um, and also to talk about uh, survivors implies perhaps that there were people who didn't survive, which makes it even worse. Uh, you know, the whole thing was absolutely outrageous. And uh, I think that's what got things off to a very bad start. Because, of course, that inquiry, Operation Conover, and that press appeal by Detective Superintendent Memory was uh, instigated, really, by a claim, which turned out to be false, or certainly unsubstantiated, that the trial of a Salisbury brothel owner called Myra Lingling Ford had been scrapped in 1994 after she threatened to name Sir Edward Heath as a client who had previously used rent boys. That was the, the prompt, it would seem, a false prompt for that press statement outside Sir Edward's former home in Salisbury. Absolutely, but then what was equally strange was that Pretty soon after that, the prosecuting counsel in her case, i.e. the uh, brothel owner, wrote to the Times and I think to uh, the news organisations saying he had prosecuted her and the case had been dropped for lack of evidence and it was nothing to do with Edward Heath. And yet the police ignored that and continued to talk about her as uh, someone who'd got off lightly because she was about to spill the beans. And Michael, you were uh, Sir Edward's political secretary, weren't you, for five years, and you'd had a, a professional relationship with him, presumably. I just wondered what your memories were of that statement by Sean Memory and the implications of it for the criminal justice system and the fairness or lack of fairness in this situation. Well, well I first got wind of it, I think, two or three days earlier. I was actually on my way to a meeting with a publisher to persuade him to publish a biography of Sir Edward Heath mm. when I got an email through my website from a journalist, I think, on the Mirror, saying, you know, there were straws in, in the wind um, and did I want to talk to him? And the straws in the wind were about this 1994 case. Uh, what I didn't expect was this... I mean, it's the dreaded phrase, actually, fishing expedition. And I think fr from the moment memory said that at the gates of Heath's old house this was a tainted investigation. Nobody in their right mind could think this was an objective police investigation because of the language he used. And it actually should have been stopped there and then. It's interesting, isn't it, to note at this point that just several months earlier, one detective superintendent, Kenny MacDonald, uh, addressed the press at Scotland Yard to say the allegations made by the man previously known as Nick now a convicted liar serving 18 years in prison, were credible and true. They and I believe what Nick to be saying is credible and true. This is in relation to the allegations of VIP child sex abuse, which included allegations against Sir Edward as well. So very similar language being used by two senior officers, one in Wiltshire and one in the Metropolitan Police. Well, I think, you know, I must agree with Lincoln on this, that the guidance from the College of Policing is responsible for a lot of this, which is this use of the word believe. They produce long, tedious reports about what the word believe means. We know what the word believe means, and if you're told you should believe an allegation, you therefore in your mind are condemning somebody as guilty, which goes against 
the fundamental tenets of British justice. You're presumed innocent until proven guilty. And yet the College of Policing, and, and I think with the connivance of the Home Office and the DPP, the, the Public Prosecution's Office, turn that on its head, particularly in these cases. Rather than say people should be listened to sympathetically and engaged with empathetically, they said they should be believed. And if the police investigating are in that mindset, then they are turning our constitution upside down. And it was Keir Starmer, wasn't it, who had, as DPP, before he went into politics, who had a key uh, role in that phrase and that policy of believing the accuser. Um, I believe so. Uh, I think he has claimed he didn't. But, you know, he was there at the time. Going back to Sean Memory Lincoln, his press appeal certainly did encourage people to come forward. I don't think it would be right to call many of them victims because it would be an insult to genuine victims because some of those who came forward included three women who had originally approached Wiltshire police with tales of Satanism in the late 80s. They claimed, and they linked Sir Edward to this, that they were regularly raped and saw children murdered, including babies, in ceremonies in candlelit churches and remote woodland clearings. When they first came forward in the 1980s, they hadn't alleged that Sir Edward was involved, but in the aftermath of Sean Memory's press appeal outside Sir Edward's home, they suddenly recalled that Sir Edward was there. And these were allegations which were taken seriously, belatedly, by Wiltshire Police, including one of the women saying she could picture Heath with his top off, laughing as he abused her. And I just obviously want to make clear here, this is all untrue or proven to be untrue but it was taken seriously and Wiltshire Police spent well over a million pounds investigating these and other allegations. How damaging was the allegations and the conduct of the police about these allegations to Sir Edward's reputation Lincoln? It was tempting at the time to say, well, it's all right, we don't have to worry about this because it's so ridiculous. But it was uh, repeated again and again in various forms. I think there was a suggestion that Edward Heath in a village church wearing bare claw gloves and disemboweling children. They then looked into whether any children had gone missing at that time, mm -hmm. and none had. And yet still, you know, the stories were picked up and spread. So in the overall uh, context, I don't think those stories really made any difference to anything except to make some headlines. But what was extraordinary was that the police gave them any uh, airtime at all. If they'd had any sense, they would have worked out that that was complete nonsense. Yeah, because one of his accusers, I recall, was someone who had falsely admitted murder and was a paedophile himself. And these were claims which were deemed to be credible. And I think also one of the main claims had already been dismissed by the Metropolitan Police as 
completely unbelievable, but the Wiltshire police chose to ignore that and carried on mentioning that particular claim in their various stories over the years. Actually, it's a real indictment of Wiltshire police because if the Metropolitan Police, who, uh, under Steve Rodhouse, Deputy Assistant Commissioner, who was the gold commander of Operation Midland, if even that force, which has been absolutely condemned uh, in the strongest terms over a, a shocking uh, investigation, if, even if they dismissed that accuser, that says something, doesn't it, really? Well, I think what it told us was that uh, the Wiltshire police certainly were promoting anything that could be construed as helpful to their narrative and excluding anything that would make it difficult for them to make their story credible. I think it's important here, as you both knew Sir Edward well in different ways, just to find out more about him as, as a person. Firstly, you, Lincoln, because obviously you were his godson, weren't you? And it sort of became your responsibility, it would seem, to defend his name. How did your parents know him? He was at Oxford with my father. They became good friends through uh, music and politics. My father was uh, president of the union and Heath was uh, secretary at the time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what bonded them was that literally on the eve of the outbreak of the Second World War, Heath and my father hitchhiked to Germany to go and see what was happening and indeed went to one of the uh, Nuremberg rallies and were particularly appalled. And they got out by the skin of their teeth, I think, mm. two days before war was declared. They then continued to be good friends and I think we as a family were a sort of ersatz family for Edward Heath and he was quite a part of our family in a good way and we we used to go to Chequers for Christmas for three years um, which was uh, hugely enjoyable. What's your earliest memories of Sweb because you know for most of us it's uh, you know the former prime minister a man in a suit. And for a medium-sized country like Britain to try to go it alone would expose us to every draft, every gale, every hurricane that swept across the world. What was he like as a godfather? I think our relationship was, in the early days, quite distant because he was not really interested in children very much. He only became interested when he could engage politically or intellectually and have uh, proper conversations. So I think we as children were rather an irritant. So I suppose I got to know him much better when I went to university and we'd lunch quite a lot. <laughs> when he got much older, he had a habit of going to sleep at the table. So if we were lunching just two of us, he might go to sleep, which... I tried not to take personally, but I knew if I stopped talking, he'd wake up. And in his later years, we, I think, had quite an affectionate relationship. How do you address your godfather, who happens to be the prime minister? Um, at the time, he was Uncle Teddy. 
have, in fact, he was always called that. Yeah. Obviously, Marco, you knew Sir Edward much later, uh, working for him as his political secretary for five years, wasn't it? So your recollections of Sir Edward the boss, I suppose, you know, what was he like? Well, I think he was a very shy and private man. But because of his shyness and, and awkwardness often around people, he found it easier to make enemies in politics than to make friends. And I think that made him particularly vulnerable to reputational attacks. Um, his views on Europe made him very controversial, increasingly controversial within his own party. And he just became a bit short of allies. It wasn't because he was unpleasant. It was because he had a rather dry sense of humour, which could sometimes cause offence. People wouldn't realise he was joking. They thought he was being rude or, or bloody-minded. And he, he just isolated himself. It's interesting you described him there as a shy man because Lady Britton, Leon Britton's widow, was on this podcast a few months ago and she said something very similar. I didn't know Ted Heath very well, but I knew a number of people who worked for him. He was a rather shy individual, rather ill at ease with other human beings, although very good in what he did. And I said I only met him two or three times in my life. But, you know, he was a man who you know, has to have a little bit of dignity in death and not be stuck with all of this. But, you know, when I knew him, he was 79 when I started working for him, so he, and then into his early 80s. And, you know, people had always speculated that he was the unmarried prime minister. I think Arthur Balfour had been the, the last one before. And there was always a lot of speculation about his sexuality or lack of it. And I couldn't help myself but, you know, be interested in that question myself. And, and I never really saw any evidence of any sexual interest at all, I have to say. I don't think it was something that really made him tick. I think whatever energies he had in that area at a very young age were channeled into his career. I don't think he was really interested in men, women, boys or girls. It was a very strong sense I got. And I was watching him, you know, because I was intrigued, not in a hostile way. Mm. That issue of his sexuality, I, I was reading in preparation for this interview, someone who's clearly a, a Heath ally in relation to his scandal, uh, who felt that his sexuality and the fact that he hadn't evidently had a, a relationship whatever made him an easy target mm. and there's this nudge nudge wink, wink issue here which made it easier and of course from a legal point of view the fact that he was dead and couldn't defend his name couldn't sue for libel over un unfounded allegations made him easy prey uh, you know private eye in the 1970s because he was a world-class sailor they would also have these little uh, double entendres about hello sailor and so on and you know it just was an obvious little dig and but it, but behind it there was an element of speculation that possibly he was a closeted homosexual. But I think you know in in the twenty first century we surely have moved on from associating someone who may or may not have been a closeted homosexual with someone who's a pederast. They're not the same thing. And and I think the those sort of very gentle. And, you know, not particularly unkind. And Richard Ingram's digs at him from the 70s. It was really just a play on words. It wasn't implying that he was, uh, in any sense, a, a, you know, a predator or anything. Right. It just was a play on words. I mean, today that would be perceived as homophobic. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it probably was. Mm. Uh, but it, it did create a kind of... There was a sort of mystery about him, wasn't there? There was a mystery yes. about him. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's interesting, you know, they say nature abhors 
a vacuum. Well, there was a complete uh, vacuum of information about his sexuality to the extent that as nothing was known at all, because I don't think there was anything to know, it meant it was possible for people to suggest anything that they liked because there was no evidence of any interest anywhere at all, which seems to me monstrously unfair that if sex is not your thing, it should Mm. become your weak point Mm. in terms of people's perception of you. Operation Conifer was launched in 2015 and it brought forward all sorts of bizarre, actually worse than that, ridiculous claims, including the allegation that Shrebber was linked to a paedophile ring accused of 16 child murders. I mean, the idea that he could nip off from his Scotland Yard special branch protection officers to be involved in satanic murders is so far off the scale of of credibility at Lincoln, isn't it? Yes, he had security all the time and he went everywhere with uh, detectives and he was constantly under their gaze. So to um, suggest that he could nip off at will (laughs) says some pretty terrible things about the protection officers but also uh, the security services who would have (laughs) needed to know because um, if you have a prime minister who might in any way be vulnerable to blackmail, that's a pretty terrible thing for the country. But the police chose to ignore that to the extent I think they didn't uh, interview any of the protection officers and indeed ignored anything the protection officers had to say. A few weeks after uh, Sean Memory made his uh, statement outside Redwood's home, calling victims, uh, quote-unquote, to come forward, Harvey Proctor, the former Tory MP, did uh, a now famous press conference in a hotel across the road from New Scotland Yard where he revealed the allegations which had been made against him by the man then known as Nick, uh, obviously later identified, as Carl Beach. And the suggestion to my friends that I could not be trusted with children uttered by a senior and plausible sounding police officer was particularly hurtful. And Harvey, who's been on this podcast uh, in the past, uh, revealed at that press conference uh, that uh, Edward Heath had talked him out of castrating Nick with a penknife. Now, that was one of the many ludicrous allegations made by Carl Beach, which Scotland Yard publicly declared were credible and true. For the record, how would you describe politically Harvey Proctor and, and Ted Heath? Because I think most of us would, would say they're probably opposite ends of the Tory party, weren't they? And the idea that they should be together in a sex gang was, was again, off the scale. I think they would have regarded each other with extreme personal and political distaste. You know, Harvey was a hanger and flogger, right-wing, anti-European Tory from Essex. And Ted Heath was the man who took us into the European community and a social liberal. And, and personally, they would have, I think, loathed each other. I think not too strong a word. But they have been united now by this appalling miscarriage of justice. I don't think it's too strong a word. And in essence, Operation Midland 
and Operation Conifer were parallel investigations, weren't they? Operation Conifer has had a lot less publicity, hasn't it, Lincoln? But equally scandalous, some might say, in terms of how the police conducted themselves. I think what is extraordinary is that at no point did the police in uh, Conifer, or indeed Midland, look at the whole thing with any degree of common sense. You know, that they say you can't legislate against stupidity, but they were quite extraordinarily stupid and uh, just ignored anything that interfered with their story. For you, what was the most stupid thing they did? Uh, can I have time to think about that? Are we allowed a top ten? <laughs> I'm spoiled, <laughs> spoiled for choice. But, well, I think not talking to the right uh, people for a start, by which I mean the people who knew about his uh, diary, his protection officers, his close friends, all of whom I know would like or would have liked the truth to come out, even if the truth was uh, terrible, we would have wanted to know. It would have caused a major rethink of our lives and our involvement with him. But I, I certainly had no doubts. But if there had been any evidence at all that he had been up to no good, I would have wanted to know. And there wasn't any. Of course, the chief constable of Wiltshire at that time was a man called Mike Veal, who would ultimately leave the police uh, service because he got another job after Wiltshire with a huge cloud over his head. And he was the driving force, wasn't he, really? Because as the controversy around Operation Conifer deepened, his language seemed to get more desperate, didn't he? And as you say, that comment about him being 120% certain about the allegations against Heath that was never the accuracy of that was never disputed. He had made his mind up already. Well, I think he so wanted it to be true because he would then be seen to be leading a crusade. And I think probably the only thing I can say in his defence, and indeed some of the other police, is that this whole debacle came quite hot on the heels of Jimmy Savile and the police had clearly not done any kind of a job on that and were licking their wounds. And I think there was a feeling that if they could nail a high-profile politician and bring him down and be seen to be being the shining knights, that could only be good for them and their careers. But I think it became clear to them very early on that there was nothing there, but they dug such a hole for themselves that they just had to keep on digging. And there were some interesting leaks, weren't there, to sections of the media about the supposed evidence against Sir Edward? Yes, that sort of stuff dribbled out. There was a constant drip of poison into the ear of the public. Michael, would you say that was an abuse of power, really, the way that uh, Conifer dragged on uh, before its demise in yes. 2017. Yes, of course it was an abuse of power. It also it was very political because I, I, a journalist friend told me how this uh, MP sort of touting a dodgy dossier in Portcullis House from one journalist to the next. 
Um, of course, Tom Watson was on the warpath in defence of supposed uh, survivors, and I say supposed because he had, you know, no close dealings with Carl Beach, and in a column uh, for the Mirror following Leon Britton's death on the say-so of Carl Beach, made very, well, frankly, disgraceful remarks about Leon Britton just uh, days after he died, backing the account, uh, the false account, as we now know it was, uh, of Carl Beach. That was political. The whole thing was toxic and not good for the justice system. Yes, I think it continued to be a, a bizarre that uh, this whole thing could be spun out for five years without any evidence at all to back up the story. Conifer ended in 2017, and uh, Wiltshire Police, Veal in particular, made a, a passionate, some might say desperate, attempt to defend Conifer. The scrutiny panel believes that the investigation was fair, sensitive and rigorous, and this applies to complainants and suspects, including Sir Edward Heath. I am proud of the team's compassion towards victims and survivors throughout this investigation. The team have conducted themselves with diligence and expertise. And they said publicly that Srebud, deceased for more than a decade by then, would have been interviewed under caution over seven claims, including the alleged rape of an 11-year-old, uh, had he still been alive, but added that no inference of guilt should be drawn from this. Well, frankly, that's a polite way of dressing up a smear, isn't it, really? Absolutely. If you're accused of a serious crime by anybody and the police choose to pursue it, then they'll interview you and they'll interview you under caution. Mm. But what the police were doing in their press statements, which they uh, persisted in doing, was to suggest this was somehow meaning that there was no smoke without fire and that therefore there was a suspicion of guilt and that's why uh, the caution came into play, which was just devious, I think. I think, you know, if you know the criminal justice system, know how the police work, someone to be interviewed under caution means nothing. What counts is if someone is prosecuted and convicted. And I think the thing that was unforgivable was that the police knew that uh, the public would not understand the lack of significance of being interviewed under caution, and they played that one for as long as they could. Sean Memory was under investigation for alleged misconduct over a separate matter, not connected to Conifer, but he was allowed to retire on health grounds uh, before he faced any disciplinary uh, action. Mike Veal, the chief constable, uh, was not given an extension to his contract and faced a misconduct probe himself in relation to issues around Operation Conifer, somehow ended up as Chief Constable of Cleveland and left under a cloud there. There are similarities here again with Operation Midland, the reward for failure, some might say, and also a lack of transparency. Do you see the similarities? Mike? concern about all of this as we stand now in 2021 I believe it could all happen again I think no lessons have been learned no lessons were learned from Midland no lessons have been learned from Conifer in my view there is nothing to prevent exactly the same thing happening again that innocent people could be persecuted because there's been no 
accountability. Now, the police jealously guard their operational independence. We know that. But there must be a system of accountability. Conifer, under the aegis of Wiltshire police, should have been accountable to the police and crime commissioner. But the chief constable set up his own system of accountability, which he called independent, and nudged the police and crime commissioner out of it. So effectively operated, marking his own homework. Then Operation Hydrant ran the rule over Conifer, I think found something like 60 problems with it. None of this mattered. They carried on. There was no accountability. There is still no accountability and no lessons have been learned. Can I ask you, Lincoln or Michael, if you wish to answer, what for you are the key questions which need to be addressed around the conduct of Operation Conifer? Well, I think the police were allowed to present a story with no facts proved at all. So, as Michael says, the presumption of innocence went completely out of the window. Equally poor, I think, is the fact that politically no Home Secretaries wanted to go near it because there was nothing in it for them. And to allow an ex-Prime Minister to swing in that way for heinous crimes seems to me extraordinarily casual in terms of the reputation, obviously, of that man who was innocent, but also the uh, country as a whole, that you can just say, well, we don't really care very much. Because Because if it could happen to Edward Heath, it could happen to anyone, couldn't it? In life or death, that's the bottom line. I think that's true, and I, I think it was systemic failure, and the system has not been changed. Well, they certainly spent a lot of money because Conifer spanned 14 police forces in the UK, total of 42 claims relating to 40 different individuals, alleged offences from 1956 to 1992 whilst Redwood was still an elected MP. Their report concluded there was not enough information to meet the threshold for interview for 19 of the claims, and as we discussed as well, only several could they have interviewed him under caution about scraping the barrel, some might say, in terms of what they achieved. But interestingly as well, just reading here, there was two cases where police said there was reason to suspect individuals intentionally misled them. One of the two individuals was cautioned for wasting police time. People might wonder why he or she wasn't done for perverting the course of justice. These These are themes which still cast a huge shadow over Operation Midland, that uh, two individuals known as A and B made totally false allegations in support of uh, Carl Beach and against Harvey Proctor, amongst others. Uh, And a judge directed the Metropolitan Police to call in an outside force to investigate them and rather conveniently, without explaining why, they declined to do so. It does seem that um, both in terms of Operation Conifer And Operation Midland, the forces are determined not to face further embarrassment around uh, how they conducted themselves and the individuals who they took seriously. Well, I think it is pretty weird that the only investigations into the police behaviour, other than by Judge Henriquez, were only investigated by police authorities who concluded that nobody had done anything wrong. I can't really understand how you can look at the five years of this nonsense and say that no policeman 
got anything wrong. In relation to Operation Midlands, Richard Henriquez, the distinguished ex-High Court judge, has made it very clear in public statements that he believes the law was broken by Metropolitan Police officers in in getting search warrants to raid the homes of uh, Field Marshal Lord Bramall, Lord Britton and and Harvey Proctor. The judge who granted the search warrant says the law was broken. The police watchdog cleared all the five officers under suspicion, two within a matter of months without even being interviewed. I wonder what your views are, Michael, on the police watchdog, uh, the IOPC. Fit for purpose? I think all I can say is we, the trustees of the Edward Heath Charitable Foundation, didn't see any good purpose in going to them, despite what we regarded as a a disaster of an inquiry. I, I personally saw no good purpose. I didn't think they would be of any value at all. Why is that? Uh, because of their record. I don't think they are fit for purpose. I mean, there is a perception that they only go for low-hanging fruit and the issues involving the conduct of Operation Conifer and, and Midland go right to the very top of the organisations, don't they? I, I think there is there was systemic failure. It's easy to focus on the individuals, but I think it, the general system is not fit for purpose because it, you know, they inherited, the, the police in Conifer and in Midland inherited this position from the College of Policing saying the victims should be treated as victims, the word believe, that they should be believed, when perfectly straightforward to stick to normal practice, which is that you listen sympathetically, you use common sense, and you do an investigation with an open mind. But instead they were told uh, that they should believe what they were being told, the person should be treated as a victim, and therefore it was impossible for them to act objectively, which is their job. In 2018, uh, Lincoln, you called for a judicial inquiry into Conifer. Why, why did you do that? I think the point of an inquiry was not so much to establish Heath's innocence as to establish that the police had not only got it wrong, but how they had gone about it was wrong, and the fact that there have been no consequences for any of them, and that can't be right. Six former Home Secretaries recently signed a joint statement unprecedented in my experience, uh, led by Michael Howard, David Blunkett, amongst others, three Labour, three Tory ex-Home Secretaries, demanding an inquiry into Operation Midland, urging the Home Secretary. You've got two judges, Sir Richard Henriquez, uh, Howard Riddle, who granted a search warrant in Midland, calling for action for the Metropolitan Police to be held to account. Officers disciplined, face misconduct or worse, uh, charges over it. Priti Patel has done nothing yet, and I just wondered what your message would be to her, because if there is an inquiry, you could make an argument, couldn't you, into Midland, that it should be joined, Operation Conifer should be looked at as well, because the themes are the same. What, what would your message, both of you, be to, to Priti Patel? I'll start with you, Michael, because you sort of know the, the political world well. I know political world very well. I know how politicians' minds work. Uh, my message to her is that she wants to go down in history as a courageous and radical Home Secretary. And this would be a very good way of doing it. For what reason? Uh, Because I think she, as a politician, should recognise that the instinct of the system is to close ranks, and that if she wants to be remembered as someone of real calibre and courage, this is a great opportunity for her to expose... As I say, I'm less interested in the personalities to expose a profound systemic failure which needs to be corrected because otherwise it will happen again. 
And if she doesn't do it, I think it probably will happen again. And she will bear some of the culpability for that. She could ultimately be accused of being part of an establishment cover-up because uh, that seems to be what's going on here at the moment. The Metropolitan Police in relation to Operation Midland very keen to say, oh, it's, you know, it happened years ago, we've learned the lessons. They, led by Cresta Dick, very keen for this to be forgotten about. And I imagine the same with Wiltshire and Conifer as well. If there is an inquiry, it could be really embarrassing to a lot of people, couldn't it? In police, politics in particular, people who are alive now and and are ambitious. I mean, I would say to her that um, she's in the fortunate position that this didn't happen on her watch. So there's minimal downside for her. But I would also say that she shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking for all sorts of reasons and because of various people who lead various countries that truth does not matter anymore and that... A lot of people in the country think that there's a slippery slope there and that if she does nothing about this, she is effectively saying, well, what happened does not matter and we'll all move on. And I think that would be very sad. Do you think there's been a cover-up? I think it's the end product is a cover-up. I'm not sure it's a deliberate cover-up. I think it's the fact that nobody thinks it's in their interest to expose what happened as wrong and so you end up with a cover-up because they hope that everybody will forget about it and move on. I would call it a closing of ranks rather than a cover-up and and that is the instinct of all organisations to close ranks and to use phrases about moving on and to make flimsy suggestions that lessons have been learned Sometimes you just, however uncomfortable it is, it's in everyone's best interest and the interest of justice to open it up, let the light in. And and I think the great strength of Priti Patel as Home Secretary, she's not an establishment figure. She's an outsider. She's a radical. She's a strong personality. I mean, this is, I would have thought this would appeal to her because she she bears none of the responsibility for anything that went wrong personally. And... If she wants to be remembered as a reforming radical Home Secretary, this is this should be grist to the mill for her. And finally, what do you think Ted Heath would have made of him being implicated uh, in a satanic, murderous child abuse uh, gang uh, and that Wiltshire Police would spend more than a million pounds investigating that and other allegations? What do you think he'd make of that? I think both sorrow and anger. I think he he, he was convinced the world was going mad anyway and I think it would have been the final proof that you know, human beings have an infinite capacity for credulity and absurdity and cruelty I mean those are wicked allegations cruel, this cannot be said often enough mm. the effect on Leon Britton the effect on Harvey Proctor, the effect yeah. on the Brammels, mm. it was cruel cruel, cruel, vicious, nasty and unforgivable Lincoln Seligman, Michael McManus, thank you very much for joining me on this Mail Plus True Crime podcast on the witch hunt, which was the investigation into uh, Sir Edward Heath. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.